Hi, I'm Trevor Cochran and this is The Garden Gurus Live, a weekly show where I'll share seasonal gardening advice, feature a variety of gardeners from all across Australia and give listeners the opportunity to interact and ask your garden questions. To join the chat live and ask your gardening questions, all you need to do is like our Facebook page and tune in every week. This program is brought to you by The Garden Gurus and Scott's Performance Naturals. Scott's Performance Naturals is the 100% natural and sustainable way to grow and feed your garden. Backed by years of research and developed by scientists, the technology employed enhances natural processes, allowing extra strong growth. The Performance Naturals range contains organic materials such as nature N, blood and bone, seaweed, biostimulants, manure and feather meal to improve the soil and encourage microbial and earthworm activity. To find out more about the Scott's Performance Naturals range, head to lovethegarden.com.au. Hi, and welcome to the Garden Gurus Live. I'm Sue McDougall, and I'm so excited to be back with you this gorgeous Tuesday morning from the west coast of the world. It is absolutely just gorgeous, and I hope wherever you are listening or joining in Garden Gurus Live across Australia, the weather's been perfect, and I hope you've had a chance to actually get some gardening done over the long weekend and have a chance. We're streaming live from multiple pages today. We've got the Garden Gurus Facebook, the Love the Garden Facebook, Garden Express's Facebook and our very own YouTube channel. Now so much happening, autumn really is gardening time. I just get so inspired at this time of the year. Now what we've got on the show today, you've got to just stay tuned because our good friend David Van Burke will be sharing the Garden Express offer of the week. Now this is one of my favourite groups of plants, just the smell of them, the perfume, wherever you are in Australia, you'll be able to grow these, I can guarantee it. Also we're going to check out on the Flower Fest that's run by Garden Express. I'm hearing some fantastic stories, some great specials actually on spring bulbs. So there's lots of time to plant, still lots of time to plant. We'll find out what's happening with those bulbs that have been in the fridge. If you've got bulbs in your fridge and you thought, right, when do I plant them? Maybe we'll check out with David what we can do with those as well. Love the garden, Stephen Cheddit is back and he'll be showing us the best autumn herbs you can't live without. I don't know about you, but I think the autumn flavour of herbs is the best. There's something about parsley that's grown in autumn that's just second to none. So if you haven't got parsley growing, I know that's one of my favourites and my tips. Now, Many of the areas of country of, of Australia have been destroyed by bushfires. These are increasing in intensity and frequency. It's not only in Australia, this is happening across the world. Now, author Leslie Corbett will join the program to share some tips on prepping your garden for fire, something very close to my heart and I know Leslie's heart because she's always, she lives in the hills in a very fire-prone area. So the thought of having fire coming over the hill, don't even have to live in a fire-prone area to make sure your garden is safe from the threat of fire. And as always, we've got prizes to give away, lots and lots of things to join in. Send us a question. We would love to hear. We've got four packets of Mr. Fothergill seeds and a great seed-raising mix punnet or seed raising punnet I should say I love the idea of it. it's made from silicon 
so it bends and moves, it will last forever. Plants particularly love it as well. So if you chance to win, ask your question in the comments of this video. Don't forget to let us know where you are, your state and city. That actually helps me when we've got some questions. I'm going to start off. I'm going to ask you all a question for the people who are part of it. What is your favourite autumn colour tree? It doesn't have to be a tree. It can be a shrub. It can be absolutely something that's looking gorgeous. Our plant of the week is one of my favourites and maybe a little bit later on I'll feature my favourite plant of the week. And oh, my favourite, can I give you a little tip? Maybe a tree, my favourite tree. But I want to know what your favourite favourite uh, autumn colour tree to inspire anyone who's listening. Really good for our beginner gardeners actually if you can put some comments in something that's got the top three. It can cope with the hot sun, it can cope with a little bit of those um, wonderful winds that we tend to experience and the extremes in temperature. We've got um, some more. Keep your comments coming as always. We've got those seeds to give away. We would love you to be part of our Garden Gurus Live this morning. Look Let's head, should we head straight to David Van Berkel? Now, Garden Express has been absolutely inundated, been fantastic supporters of the Garden Gurus Live, and we welcome you to our show. David, good morning. Good morning, Sue. How are you going? Yeah, very well. It's actually, I should say, rephrase that, David. It's actually not morning where you are, is it? No, we're uh, we're just after lunch, and um, yeah, autumn certainly hit where we are. And my favourite is lipstick maples. I have a dozen yeah. in my driveway, and they've just turned the most brilliant red. Yeah, well, tell us about lipstick ma maple because they are a colour that just glows, isn't it? Yeah, it it, it is just like a exactly the embers of a fire, maybe uh, a little bit stronger than that. A really beautiful, rich red, but. You know, the turn from, from that really pear green, it's pretty incredible. And, um, you know, you get a nice uh, mild autumn, cold autumn like we've got, and, uh, and then you get that really good colour. Yeah, they just absolutely love that. Great tip. Thanks for starting us off with that. We have had a few come through the favourite trees as well. But one of the plant that absolutely loves the cold and they need it to actually get them to, to flower, have that rhizome exposed, and our offer of the week are the bearded iris. Uh, you mentioned they're one of your favourites and I go back yeah. to when I was a kid and this was one of my favourites. These and daylilies are just uh, super incredible flowers that you get from, um, you know, these nice broad leaves. But the rhizome, as you said, uh, particularly interesting um, plant in, in the garden. Yeah, they are an interesting plant because you go, you see them growing on raised beds and that rhizome's exposed, but that's actually the importance to get them to flower, isn't it? Yeah, it is, Sue. So if you face the rhizome to the north, it attracts more of the warmth and the sun, which which really, you know, generates the extra flowering. And, and we've tried it and tested it with the ones that we grow, and, and it's just so true. Yeah. Now, the smell of bearded iris as well, that takes you back as a kid. Bunches of bearded iris, they just have do have a distinct smell, but it's it's not a bad smell. It's just... Reminds reminds me of spring, the weather warming up. They, the flowers are just so majestic. Yeah, it's that it's that majesty of them, isn't it? You know, and the blooms last okay in a vase. It, it was never a cut flower in the early days, but but now you know there's a lot of bearded iris being picked for those super sized blooms. You know, and if you grab them when the bud's quite tight, um, they they take a while to open up and and just magnificent in size. And as you said, with the fragrance. 
Um, probably not the best perfume, but not pungent or anything like an early mm. cheer, which can be a bit overbearing. Certainly Herald Spring for sure. Yeah, it certainly is. Now, the bitter iris, most areas of Australia you can grow them. We need to know that. But you've got some fantastic specials on, some great savings. I want to talk to you about Flower Fest as well. We talk about the bearded iris because you might be able to uh, dovetail your order with bearded iris in with some maybe last-minute spring specials too. Absolutely. Look, the Flower Fest is, uh, is finishing on Sunday. The spring bulbs are available for quite a bit longer than that. We've still got a fair range, but we've got some really good deals on the bulbs over Flower Fest. Uh, and the bearded iris is, is new season, like the harvest is the autumn. Um, so, yes, absolutely, you can combine the two in an order. Yeah, we've got, we, we have two collections. We've got collection one that's, is, has it been colour-coded by you, David? I always like to select the colours to get uh, to get a nice blend. You know, bearded iris come in lots of blues as their basic colour. So you get a lot of um, light blue, dark blue or purple combinations. But there's some fabulous whites, whites on yellow, such as uh, light bean is, is a beautiful one of ours. Um, sweet musette with a really peach um, top and, and a bit more of a purple bottom. So, yeah, the combinations of the, of the blooms are incredible. Yeah, certainly. Our top three tips to get them to flower beautifully because I love them. I love bearded iris. If you've never given them a go, I recommend you try them because they stay green. Even if you don't get any flowers, you actually have this beautiful grey-green foliage that's quite quite stunning on its own. Yeah, and they multiply into a nice clump. So that would probably be my first suggestion. Let them sit for quite a few years and allow them to multiply and the little babies to grow off the side. Uh, and that will give you more foliage and more blooms. That north-facing aspect, of course, for the rhizome, that's the part that sits on the ground. Uh, and, and then just a raised uh, garden bed so they've got good drainage. And a, and a good feed in November. They do a lot of, of their root growing in, um, in late October, November and into December. So that's probably the best time to feed them. Yeah, it certainly is. And I think also collection two, I just noticed up here on the screen, you've got Dragon's Drum. Now, if you're looking for the new release for 2021, this is it. If you're a collector of plants and have to have what's new and amazing, Dragon's Drum looks like it's this year's release. Yeah, absolutely. And our deals are four plants for $36. So you're saving 20%. Yeah, I look forward to that very much. Add that to some bulbs. You've got some daffodil show bags. I was really informed. They're a fantastic value of those. Doubles, singles, they, they can still go into the ground, can't they? Yeah, absolutely. Like until the, uh, until the end of May, you'll still get good flowering. And if you're planting in June, you'll, your flowering starts to drop off a little bit. So May's you know, a really good time to plant your spring bulbs. David, just a tip for those people that have bought their bulbs early, who got in nice and early and have bought them, they've forgotten about at the bottom of the crisper and I can hear people saying, oh, no, that's my bulbs, I must plant those, and I've been guilty of that. Yeah. They've got to go in the ground, haven't they? Yeah, they do have to go in the ground. You can't save them until <laughs> the next year. Uh, they must go, and better late than never, you know, like for the, for the bulb to go in, at least throw up its foliage and go through a, a cycle. Uh, and then a good feed around Father's Day for the spring bulbs and they'll come back to, um, to beautiful the next year. But still plenty of time to get them in, plenty of time to buy some more with Flower Fest finishing on Sunday. Uh, and I have to mention that we've got a, a Drifts of Red and Blue collection with some red tulips and some, some beautiful Dutch iris, the, the, uh, the Dutch version of the bearded iris, a smaller flower but a brilliant blue bloom. Um, 40 bulbs 
for $37.90, and that's saving over 40%. Yeah, that's absolutely great value wherever you are. And Dutch Iris are the perfect foolproof plant, David. You put them in and you are guaranteed of a flower. I can say you don't even have to water them hardly and you can guarantee a flower. One thing I wanted to know, I know you say Flower Fest finishes on on Sunday, but just for our Facebook listener, Facebook Live viewers, I, I'm going to sneak it out of you, hopefully. going to It's a sneak peek on bare-rooted roses. Now, I need, I, everyone's holding with bated breath. They need the variety of rows that are not going to be very many around, but it's going to be the thing that's going to sell out. Can you give us a tip? Look, I'm, I'm not going to give you the newest releases <laughs> this year just yet. Uh, however, we did, we, we've got our first roses out of the ground. It's a, it's a massive ensemble of roses this year. Um, Iceberg, Blue Moon, Mr. Lincoln, uh, Champagne, the, the wedding rose, beautiful. Um, but my tip this year is... Uh, Climbing Red Pierre, uh, oh, beautiful, 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 rich red bloom, cupped shape uh, flowers. It's not a super vigorous climber, so it's not going to be up over the roof of your patio, uh, but it is a climber and it's just sensational smelling blooms. Yeah, and I'd actually vouch for that too because Climbing Red Pierre is particularly stunning. So you've heard it first. From Monday, you'll be able to get hold of the sneak peek of Bare-Rooted Roses. David, thanks for your time today. No problem, Sue. Have a great day. Garden Express are Australia's leading mail-order gardening service, offering a wide range of quality garden products. Each week on The Garden Gurus Live, the team at Garden Express will share a weekly offer so make sure after today's show you jump online and visit their website. Yeah, great tips there. If you want to grow bearded iris, I think you can anywhere. Don't forget to face those rhizomes to the north. They really need to be lifted up off the ground and raised beds. They do particularly well. Leave them in a clump for a few years. That means you don't have to do too much work at all, but just enjoy those flowers. If you've never given them a go, I'd recommend it. They're absolutely fantastic. Now, we've had a few people join in, join in Facebook Live about favourite autumn trees. Joy's sent a message saying her crepe myrtle is just amazing. I agree with you, Joy. The colours of those small leaves, they're just beautiful. The beautiful smooth bark of a crepe myrtle and they can be grown in most areas of Australia. Christine, she's with David, siding with David. I think he talked about his lipstick maples or aces. She's also saying, a maple tree and sue jacarandas yeah jacarandas are pretty special as well gorgeous trees keep them coming we would be delighted if you can join our facebook live plenty more coming up we're talking fire safe gardens and we're definitely talking autumn herbs but in the meantime we'll take a few questions from across the country from valerie from lake kathy in new south wales Valerie says she's bought a Wollamai pine. Any tips on repositioning it inside or outside? Definitely they are an outside tree, Kathy, uh, Valerie. They, uh, they need to be outside. Inside, yes, they'll come inside and you'll be able to use them as a Christmas tree for a short time, be able to use them inside for a display for a day or two, but put them a spot where, depending on what the prevailing winds are in, in summer, they do really well in the Blue Mountains. So when you have that actually warm days, but just a little bit cool. So if you're in a dry spot, wherever you are in Australia and you've got a Wollamai Pine where they can go with morning sun and a little bit of after, afternoon shade, do successfully, they grow successfully in a large pot. So a glazed pot, 
does much better than anything else. You find a, a clay pot keeps the root system very cool through summer, also keeps it relatively warm and protected through the winter months. Well, my pines are just um, super special. Hope it's growing really well. And by this time next year, it's big enough to have uh, as a Christmas tree inside. Now we're heading to WA to Dawesville. My avocado had heaps of fruit last year, but it's all dropped off. What could cause this? Avocado trees are actually really interesting. They fruit prolifically southwest of WA and do particularly well. A couple of things about avocados. They've got a very wide root system. So when you water your avocado, so you need to make it so that the water not just is in one tree, one area of the tree, you're watering right around the whole base of the tree. That makes a big difference, particularly Dawesville, I know, those wonderful sandy soils that tends to stop the water soaking in, becomes water repellent, but also the water disappears. So make sure the watering system is around, any all the way around the root system. Any other prevailing winds, hot winds, very dry times, the first thing that that plant will do is drop its fruit. So avocados do tend to have biennial bearing to or a really heavy season one year and a very light cropping the following year so if you can even it out remove some of the crop some of the crop one year when it's very heavy so that then the plant can cope with holding that much fruit regular fertilizing with an organic based fertilizer suitable for fruit trees and will make a big difference and so that's little and regularly for avocados but that wide root system is so important uh, to be watered all around the tree not 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 just on one side of the tree so there's a tip for anyone who's growing any citrus trees particularly in drier areas and avocado trees they do better if they can be watered all around let's head to victoria from sheree from bunyip I did a stupid thing. Don't worry, Sheree, I always do stupid things. I put my fiddle leaf fig in the window for the day and misted the leaves. Now quite a few of the leaves are burnt. Do I remove them? The plant itself is thriving and pushing out new leaves. Up to you, Sheree. If you remove them, you'll have a couple of bare blank uh, branches, so it'll be very bare. But if you if you want to chop the top off, wherever there's a leaf, tip for any, any plant that you're going to push up, wherever there's a leaf, there's a dormant bud. So you'll find as a leaf comes out of the branch and the tree grows up, wherever there's been a leaf, you're going to let it shoot away. It will shoot away again. The other thing you can do is do what we call cincture the branch. And what that means is that if you cut lightly into the bark, just below, just above, I should say, above that um, branch, just with a sharp blade of secateurs, just lightly might initiate a flower, uh, sorry, a, a shoot to come through where that leaf was. And you'll find that that will encourage it to branch out. But up your sleeve, you can just chop the top off and it will branch out. And oh, anyone who can remember fiddle leaf figs from the 70s when they were trendy in the 70s will know that they've lifted houses with their root system. So they are tough, hardy, no lot kills them. So even burning a few leaves, that's not that stupid. Don't worry about it. It will come back beautifully. Cherie, hope that helps. I wonder how many fiddle leaf figs are doing amazing as indoor plants. Please let us know. Mark in the comment section. Go in the running to win those seeds we've got or that punnet of seed from Mr. Fothergill's where you can grow your seeds beautifully. It's actually a silicon punnet that will last for a long time. So from fiddle leaf figs to 
bushfires. Now, to tell us a little bit more about bushfires, something very close to my heart. I live naturally in a high bushfire prone area, have for a long time, and it's always in the back of anyone's mind if they're in a bushfire prone area. How's a garden going to survive? I'm going to be safe. And we wonder if the garden is actually a help or a hindrance. Now, we are joined by Leslie Corbett, who's the author of Safer Gardens, Plant Flammability and Planning for Fire. I haven't talked to Leslie for a very long time. She's been very much part of um, the garden centre where I was at for many years, passionate about gardening. Good morning, Leslie. Great to talk to you, Leslie. If you could just unmute your, mute your mic, we'll be delighted to to talk to you. So at the bottom of the screen, if you see a red, a little red mic with, if you can click on that, we'll be able to hear you very soon. So if you don't even have to live in a fireproof area, you can, even a hectare of bush, you know, this year in many areas of Australia, we've seen residential metro areas have been susceptible. People have been at risk of fire. There we go. I think we've got you now, Leslie. Hello. Hi, Sue. Yeah, great to talk to you. Now, great book, I must say, author, Safer Gardens, Plant Flammability and Planning for Fire. This is for people who live in fire-prone areas. It's actually really interesting because it's taken someone to have hours of dedicated work to probably analyse each plant and if, it, if it's going to help in your garden, if it's in your garden, and reduce the speed of fire. Yeah, I, um, the reason I wrote the book was because um, I started discovering that a lot of the lists out there that are on the net, but also in books and garden centres, have got plants on them that are actually flammable and they're supposed to be fire retardant lists. So I went looking for um, more reliable information and found my way to <laughs> the, la the labyrinth of um <laughs> plant flammability testing from around the world. So basically I've spent years and years researching it and bringing in information just from, from here, there and everywhere. And it's, um, this is the book, Safer Gardens. Fantastic. Um, just released in the last couple of weeks. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, over 500 exotics and natives. So um, it's actually going to be useful to people in other fire hit areas, you know, like California, South Africa, Mediterranean, um, because it has got this big body of exotic plants as well as Australian natives. Yeah, yeah something very close to everyone's heart is, is hearing the devastation, not only of the plants, but also of the natural environment, the ecosystems around and, yeah. and having this body of research. This is citizen science. This is the best of citizen science, isn't it, Leslie? Um, I hope so, yeah. I, th I think it will be really useful to people um, be because um, the fires seem to be getting worse, you know, and, and also the fire season is getting longer. Um, it, it, the, it used to be that people said that deciduous trees were brilliant, and a lot of them are, although I have found that some of them um, actually are flammable. Um, silver birch and Japanese maple, for instance, uh, are not particularly good from a fire point of view. Um, but um, if fire comes through in autumn when deciduous trees are starting to change, um, their leaves become a lot drier as, as they get prepared to drop. 
Um, and so they're not giving you the same protection as they would in summer when their leaves are um, green and hopefully lushly green because, you know, that's part of what you have to do, keep things well watered so that the moisture level of leaves is high. Um, oh, interesting you mentioned that because that's always been the issue that you could have a plant that might suppress fire or reduce reduce the uh, speed of fire ahead but if that is water stressed as well, that doesn't perform as well as what it would do in a test. That's right. Yeah. So, I mean, citrus are quite a good example of this. They, um, um, they're used quite a bit in the Mediterranean as um, a green barrier, uh, particularly between villages and forest areas. Um, and I have results on two citrus, lemon and mandarin. Uh, both indicating that they are good. I don't have results for um, oranges. Um, but the thing about citrus is that they actually, um, they're a little bit tricky to keep really, really lush and green. They seem to be very finicky. Um, they start to yellow at the drop of a hat in my experience. Um, and also they're a bit prone to pests and diseases. So basically, if you want your citrus to uh, act as an ember trap, which is partly what you're trying to do when you're trying to make your garden more fire safe. You need to keep on top of diseases and keep them well watered, well fertilised, all those things. Yeah, it's actually making them nice and healthy does make a huge difference. Now, this is a question without notice, Leslie. I know you live in the hills. You've been a passionate gardener for a very long time. What would you plant? What are the top few plants you would plant in your garden, given the research that you've got and the results you have in your in your um, book, but also from your experience that might help maybe some of our viewers today? Um, well, Hecia multilineata, I don't know if I've pronounced that correctly. You've done well. <laughs> the grass leaf hakea is supposed to be um, a fairly low um, flammability plant. Um, there's, there's a lot more exotics that are easy to talk about that I don't have to hedge and say, oh, well, you know, some people found it was good, but other people didn't. Um, hibiscus. Uh, tend to be good. Um, Melia azedoac, the cape chestnut, cape, yes. cape lilac. Yeah. Cape lilac, that's cape, right. Yeah. Um, that, uh, tests indicate that that's pretty good, um, although we had one planted near the house and it was starting to crack all the paving and things, so I don't recommend planting it too close <laughs> to your house. That's true. Um, uh, Camellias are, um, well, I, the results I have for camellias are for Camellia japonica. Yes. And they indicate that it's pretty good. And local firefighters also told me that in the Stoneville fires, um, there was one place that had a barrier of camellias and the outer grouping of them did get scorched, but the inner area helped protect the house. Uh, so I would imagine that Camellia sasanqua is, is, is probably also good, but you actually can't assume that. Um, so roses, um, uh, lower bunda rose, I've got a test result indicating that that is a good rose, but the dog rose, Rosa canina, um, results indicate it has high flammability. 
So yeah. it's very variable, isn't it? I yeah. Think, I think you've definitely opened a labyrinth of um, plants and it's great to start the conversations start happening that there, yes, there are some plants if you live in a fine-prone area that are a safer choice maybe than others. And if you follow exactly what Leslie said, Leslie, you know, keeping the moisture up, having the design, having the acid protection zone, that asset protection zone, making sure you've got gaps between your garden beds and you tie that hand in hand. There might be a few sacrificial plants, maybe a few sacrificial hibiscus, something sure. like that, but exactly, but that will make a huge difference. Now the garden or the book is called Safer Gardens, Plant Flammability and Planning for Fire. Where do our listeners or our viewers get hold of it, Leslie? Um, well, they can get hold of it from the publisher in Melbourne, Australian Scholarly Publishing. Um, and it, it should be in, in all good bookshops, um, but it seems to be getting a, a bit slow getting here from the eastern states. Well, um, it is a long way. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, if you walk across the Nullarbor, it takes an awful long time. That's right. Um, but um, we, we actually, up in the, in the hills, um, the part of the hills that I live, I'm in Mundaring. Um, the Mundaring Visitor Centre is going to stock it um, and there's a little coffee shop called Mojo's is, is going to stock it. And we're right. going to start, start going through hills areas. You know, we'd really like to get it in somewhere at Gigi um, because of, you, you know, the, all the people at Tilden Park who just had that terrible experience losing yeah. so many houses. Yeah, they um, certainly did. Absolutely devastating. And we're seeing the effects yeah. of what's happened with the garden. Some things are shooting away, I must say, which is lovely. Fantastic to talk to you this morning. Lovely catch up again, Leslie. Yes, um, Leslie really and I go back a very long way, probably 30 years. I was just talking earlier. <laughs> the kids are in the 30s now, which is amazing, a bit scary because I saw them when they were little kids coming to the garden. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Lovely to talk to you and great to know that you're still putting all that work um, in your backyard to absolute good use. Called, called Safer Gardens, Plant Flammability and Planning for Fire. Thanks for your time, Leslie, this Thanks, morning. Sir. Yeah, take care. Take very care, good care and take care of your garden if you do live in a fire-prone area as well. If that's um, information that is important to your garden, chase that book down from Australian Scholarly, if I get that word out right, publishing, um, you'll be able to find it. I know it was just released in April. So you probably heard it first here on the Garden Gurus Live. And we are talking favourite autumn plants today. Now, I promise that I did not plan this. Catherine from Success. Thanks for sending your comment, Catherine. I have three ornamental pears in my garden and the autumn colours are absolutely brilliant. It's starting to show all the beautiful colours now. And that's what I want to talk about today. Catherine, now, I must say that, yeah, here's my yogurt bucket. It's probably not that exciting. I've also got some hydrangeas in there. If we get a chance, I'll talk to you about autumn hydrangeas as well. But this is the autumn colour of these just starting. So you'll find if you're just starting, some colourful leaves are just all dropping off. But this is the ornamental pears. The ornamental pears are absolutely spectacular. And did you know why trees absolutely have brilliant colour well David touched on it earlier but when we get a snap of cold weather you'll find the sap stops flowing in the plant so you'll get this beautiful green foliage some of these leaves are green and you'll so this is a leaf of a green one and then as soon as we get a cold snap 
what happens is that the sugars are start, the sap stops flowing in the tree or the shrub or whatever we've got that changes colour. So then it says, right, that's it, I'm going into dormancy. And when they go into dormancy, the sap stops flowing. So what happens is that the plant uses up all the chlorophyll and the chlorophyll is the green part of the leaf. And then what's left behind are the sugars. So those sugars, if we have a very mild autumn and the plant's starting to keep growing, all those sugars end up in the root system or being used up. What happens when we have a beautiful autumn snap is that these sugars are left within the leaf. So we get this gorgeous colour. So the cooler it is, the cooler, the quicker that cold snap is, the better the autumn colour is. So I'm with you, Catherine. My This is Manchurian pear, just one of the autumn trees that are absolutely glowing. And I must say this, this branch is oh, not looking that that all the beautiful leaves on the bottom of the car when I bought it in today. I was picked it last night and they're beautiful. So you've got to imagine it. Head out to your local garden centre and see what beautiful trees you might have. Either you put them in a large pot, whether it's a weeping maple in a large pot, if you live in the cooler parts of Australia, or you've got a gorgeous, gorgeous, hot, dry position and you would have put something special in and you've got a large area for a large tree. Now, the ornamental pears are hardy. They cope with really hot conditions. They can cope with 47 degrees. They cope with drought and they still colour up beautifully. Non-invasive root system, so they can go in a few smaller areas and they can still colour up beautifully. So, And when the leaves are dropped, when there's no leaves left on them, I think they've got this beautiful sculptured effect that they look fantastic in vases as well. So there's nothing... Well, there's nothing not to love about a Manchurian pear on ornamental tree. I'm with you, Catherine, in absolutely enjoy those. See what's looking gorgeous in garden centres at the moment. Get them planted, get them in the garden. And even though you won't see lots happening on the leaves, the plant will be going dormant, you will find that the root system's getting established. And another tip while we're talking cold, did you know that's actually the cold that changes citrus the colour they are. So if you've had citrus hanging on your tree for many years, as, or many years, I should say, many months, and it hasn't coloured up, as soon as we start to get the cold, they'll colour up. Once we look at them and you think they're orange, leave them for another couple of weeks or another couple of months, actually, because that's when the sugars develop. So my big tip is this time of the year, the mandarins are starting to colour up. Don't pick them just yet. Wait until they really develop the sugars and the sweetness in them and there is nothing like the flavour of a beautiful. From Sue from Dawesville in WA to do with fires, I'm on the estuary side of Dawesville which is full of beautiful trees. What is the best gutter guard? The ones that are there are actually quite a few and it's a really, really good question because if you're in a real hills area, often people don't, or sorry, real fire prone area, don't actually have gutters because they do fill up with leaves. But what you want is the gutter guard that goes along the profile, either along your profile and there's nothing, there's nowhere where a leaf can get stuck or the minimum areas where a leaf gets stuck. I've seen some fantastic gutter guards that just follow on so it's a seamless from the roof, depending if you've got a tin roof or a, or a um, tiled roof, but it follows in and there's nowhere for those leaves to get stuck. Hopefully that helps. I'm not sure of the brand, Sue, but you'll find um, always if you get a good quality product that's going to make a big difference. But it's actually really good things to think about, particularly when it comes to fire. We always forget about it when the weather's cooling down, but it's important to get onto it now. Now I think Stephen's good to go. Hi, Stephen.
Hey, Sue, how's it going? Yeah, really well. Great to talk to you. So we've gone from the flavour of citrus to the flavour of herbs. Uh, it's a great time of the year to get the herbs in, isn't it? It really is. So the great thing about autumn is that the soil is still really warm and you don't really have the harshness of the summer sun, so it's a perfect time for planting and fertilising herbs. Yeah, and I say that because parsley stresses a lot, and that's one thing we've talked about a lot this morning, stresses a lot. But it's got that beautiful deep root system. We'll still get some growth. Um, we need that soil warmth, don't we? Yeah, we really do. Um, it really helps to bring up all the beneficial soil bacteria, and um, it really helps to activate the slow-release fertiliser. Now, we're talking slow release because it does really well talking. It ties in beautifully with our um, citrus earlier and I often say yeah. to people, a little bit more often is so important when it comes to fertiliser. Oh, exactly. You should at least aim to fertilise around three times a year, but the more the better, especially for citrus. So all of our citrus fertiliser is boosted with magnesium, which really helps to keep the leaves green, which also in turn helps with um, all that fire stuff that we were discussing earlier. Yeah, it certainly does because keeping a nice healthy plant and that's what Leslie said, she maybe needs some of this because she was the one that yeah. was saying uh, all her leaves got <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So what are your favourite herbs? Oh, I love all types of herbs. So I've got a really large family and pretty much every weekend I've got cousins, aunties, uncles over and we're really big cooks. So just having all the different types of herbs, I love parsley, rosemary, thyme. You know, it's just such a staple in our household. Um, so just having a large, healthy herb garden is just so important to us. Well, talking about healthy, we really need, you mentioned it earlier, but we need that beautiful, the, the reason we want to grow herbs is to have that lush growth. Um, yes. It's no use growing, growing herbs or rosemary when there's three dead leaves on it and it's not coping very well. Um, we want that flavour. That's when there's higher oil content. What's going to do that? How often do we need to feed those? Um, so with our Performance Naturals fertiliser, you only need to feed it once every three months. Um, this is one of our newer products. It's actually 100% natural. Um, so it's got everything that you know. It's got blood and bone, chicken manure, feather meal, seaweed. Um, but it's actually got a natural source of nitrogen, nature in. So we've actually developed this natural source and it promotes really strong and steady growth. Um, and the great thing about Performance Naturals is we've actually really simplified the back of the pack. So for yep. people like me who are new to gardening it literally gives you three steps on how to fertilize and that's it so you just pop it on you know once every season at the change of the season and your herbs and all your fruit and veggies will be really good to go so interesting you say um people like you that are new to gardening in this pandemic we have had probably a 40 percent increase at least in yeah. people who are gardening and the demographic is getting younger we presume that people um have learned gardening from our parents but suddenly you've said you've got time you've got um and and then you've got the the money to be able to buy plants but then yeah. suddenly what do i do with them exactly um and yeah so gardening is beautiful it's passed down from generation to generation so i learned it from my grandfather and my cousins also learned it from my grandfather. And we all talk about it. And it's just a really good way to connect with people. And even if, you know, you don't have that family history, um, like our Love the Garden website, we've got heaps of really great advice on there. And all of our brands are quite heritage brands. So, you know, we've got all that experience behind us and we're just here to help you guys grow. Well, you won't have success because that's one of the staples that we are at the Garden Gurus live at the Garden Gurus. It's all about um, having success. 
Now, do you remember the first plant that you ever grew, Stephen? Oh, so for me, it was I had to go at tomatoes last year. Yeah. Um, I actually did really, really well. So I was really excited about that. Did you have, when you talk about tomatoes, did you have a little office, inter-office competition about growing yeah. tomatoes? Did you? We did. We had our um, tomato growing challenge. How'd you go? That- well, yeah, just, did you win? Oh, I was officiating. So, I mean, I, oh. I could have won. I would have just had <laughs> a trophy. But that was so much fun. It really got the office involved in, you know, being able to grow stuff and actually grow it well because with this new range of products, we've actually put all the sciences there. So all you really need to do is just, you know, follow the instructions, put your tomatoes in all your veggies or herbs and, you know, reap the benefits. Yeah, it certainly is reaping benefits. And talking about fertiliser, there are uh, probably when I went through horticultural training, when I would learnt gardening, there was a big focus on, on particularly, well, there's two focuses, I would say. It's all about um, using your own compost, but then also at that time when there was broadacre farming and mass fertiliser spread that um, if it was if it was an NPK mix, um, mm-hmm. if it wasn't that, it wasn't actually going to make a difference. But we've done a complete turnaround, haven't we? Yeah, we have. So, you know, all of our fertilisers are developed um, by our team here in Australia and there's a lot of science that goes behind them. Yeah, that science is important. Now, with Performance Naturals, one thing I must ask is, and I'm thinking for my teenage kids here, they're right into plants and gardening, um, can you overdo it? Um, Look, you can overdo with everything, but it's not going to hurt your vegetables. It's a slow-release fertiliser, so, like, your plants will take as much as they need. Okay. So don't don't pour the whole bag on one pot. (laughs) That's not going to be great. (laughs) Um, but it is natural, so there's no um, added chemicals to it. Um, so it's basically, you know, it's everything that you your grandparents would have put in the ground. So it's got blood and bone, feather meal, chicken manure, seaweed, feather meal. So, you know. Does it, does it smell good? Um, it is low odour. Yeah, <laughs> so great. Take from that what you will. And another thing, one of my favourite things about Performance Naturals is um, it's actually this bag is made from 50% recycled material. So it's really good for the planet and then you can also recycle it through Red Cycle. Yeah, that Red Cycle program is so important. We tend to forget about it. We think about it, that Red Cycle program when we're talking about food packaging. But when yeah. it comes to potty mix packaging and fertiliser packaging, it gets ignored, doesn't it? It does. So um, we're part of the Red Cycle program. So next time you've got a potting mix bag or a bag of performance naturals just take it down to your local supermarket and pop it in one of the red cycle bins yeah do you want me to tell you your my tip any potting mix bag gets washed out then all the food packaging goes inside that anything that you can crunch up i use it as the bag for that so all the all the fertilizer bags get used for that and it makes a difference if you've never discovered red cycle before i urge you to do it it's just absolutely fantastic Fantastic. Fantastic Yeah, it's a great project. And then it turns into, this is a bit I love, Stephen, then what turns into are all those uh, bollards, the decking you see in landscape architects um, used around uh, probably um, treading for just to protect the environment so it doesn't get compacted in public parks, uh, garden benches, recycled bollards, and it gets used again and again so it doesn't go to waste. I love that. So Performance Naturals, tell us your top top four herbs that you're growing in your garden at the moment, maybe in your granddad's or your mum's garden as your family, what you're yeah. enjoying. 
So um, I'm Lebanese, so we've definitely got lots of parsley for the tabbouleh. That's my favourite. Um, yes. I'm a big coriander lover. Um, I love my thyme. And one of my favourites is I've got some mint here. Ah, yes. And Tell us about growing mint. Um, look, mint's not that hard to grow. Well, <laughs> It'll grow absolutely anywhere. Look, you know, pop some performance naturals, put it in um, the performance naturals potty mix. And you're good to go. And I think I'm going to go make myself a mojito. Oh, yeah, a bit jealous. I put this great mint to waste. Yeah, well, you can't have mint to waste. And people say to me, do you have caterpillars that get onto your mint? Yes. Yeah, chop it off. That's all you have to do yeah. and you can, yeah, and it exactly. shifts away again. Yeah, yeah I don't this have to off, um, beginning of last week. And okay. It's already- and it's- yeah, shot away as well. And if you've got a little bit extra water, it grows even faster. So <laughs> don't let it shoot away in a garden bed because you've yeah. got a whole acre yeah. of it very soon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Stephen, you go and enjoy your mint. We'll continue our Garden Gurus uh, live, Facebook Live. We are streaming right around the place, many different locations today. Thanks for joining us, Stephen. Thanks so much, Sue. This podcast is brought to you by Still and Evergreen Garden Care. Still is Australia's most trusted brand of garden power tools. Backed by 95 years of German engineering excellence. To get your hands on their range, visit your local Still dealer today or visit still.com.au. Sandra's got flowers from a non-stop splitting. Well, the flowers are splitting on my desert rose quads. What products can I use and how often to prevent this? I heard you can use tea leaves. Yeah, you can use tea leaves. No problem at all. You'll find the um, tea leaves, well, actually they compost down, they break down, they're slightly acidic, so they'll help with that. And any tea leaves, it's a great compost. They work really well. You can use tea leaves brilliantly on your, on your uh, probably camellias. You can say ferns to work really well with tea leaves because as they break down, they're a type of compost as well. So the nutrients from the tea, many people believe that's beneficial to the garden as well. And if you've got flowers that are splitting, just be careful that you're not doing too much water, then not enough, Sandra. So too much and not enough. You'll find you'll get this, you'll get this, the plant absorbs the water and then there's nothing. And so you'll find you get this instant growth very quickly. If you can regulate that um, and use a little bit of controlled release or slow release fertilizer, that will make a difference as well. But report back, tell us how your tea leaves have gone and the difference it makes. We'll head to South Australia from Jan. Lovely to talk to you, Jan. I bought a Maya lemon about three months ago and it's now flowering. Is it possible that it will give me fruit early? It's still quite a tiny tree. Can I just tell you, Jan, if you can't do it, get your neighbour to do it. But if you can block off or pluck off all those flowers, particularly for the first two years, you'll find the tree will be so much happier. Yes, it will give you flowers early and it will give you some fruit, but you can imagine how many nutrients it takes out of the tree to grow fruit. And if it's just a bit stressed, a bit young, it doesn't have a well-developed or strong root system, if you can just pluck all those flowers off. And that's why I say this is where your neighbour or your friend comes in because they're not emotionally attached to that tree or those flowers. And pluck them all off, get the growth happening. 
So Maya Lemon is probably the tree. Did a feature last season's Garden Gurus about the different lemons that were available to buy. And the two most common lemons are Eureka Lemon and Maya Lemon. Maya has the less tart, thinner skin and beautiful, rich colour of a tree and a small, neat, compact tree. So if you've only got a small space, you only want lemons throughout the winter and early spring Maya lemons the plant for you large pot they do particularly well as well but mm, pluck those fruit off this time of the year and um, your tree particularly I always say for the first two years if you've just got a young tree well not it's hard but it's definitely worth um, worth it for the future you'll thank me for it and your lemon tree will thank you for it in the long term now we'll head from South Australia to Broken Hill in New South Wales I have chocos that are sprouting can I plant them in small pots keep them inside and replant in spring yeah give it a go definitely we used to always have sweet potatoes hanging around the edges of edges of um, window sills when we were kids chocos were part of it as well they might die back a little bit depending how cold it gets there this winter and what happens this winter you'll be saying mm, you've got nothing to lose absolutely nothing to lose Pam it's definitely giving it a go and seeing how you go keep them out of the cold if you've got a hot house they'll do particularly well in a hot house but I'm sure if you haven't you probably don't want to buy a hot house just for a few choco plants so if you can keep them warm even chop them off when you put them back out into the garden they'll shoot away beautifully if there's still some vegetative growth very susceptible to spider mite if you put them inside through winter um, so a little bit of dusting sulfur will be able to maybe keep that spider mite in control for you. Now from, from New South Wales to Victoria, from Chantal, welcome to Garden Guru's Facebook page or Facebook Live. My friend sprouted me an avocado seed. When will it be safe to plant outside? Next spring, Chantal, if you can do um, plant it out in spring, you'll find that the plant will just take off. So if it's only a small one, you're in an area where you're prone to frost and cold, keep it in a pot, keep it somewhere where it's going to get some beautiful morning sun and it's going to be relatively warm. Plastic pot, because the warmth from the sun will help warm up that plastic pot and you'll just get some soil moist, soil temperature around it and it will still keep growing. They are susceptible to cold um, through winter if they're too small and particularly the cold comes up off the ground. Once the tree is a little bit taller, it can cope by the time we get to next winter the tree will be able to cope beautifully with the winter. So if you can plant it outside at the beginning of spring or when the danger of frost has passed or the cold has passed, that'll make a big difference for you. Visit the Garden Guru's online store and browse through a collection of high-quality, German-made wolf garden tools. You'll also find a range of books with information to help create and maintain a beautiful garden. You can also access the online store on the Garden Guru's Facebook page. And from avocados to azaleas. Oh, they're looking beautiful, starting to look beautiful at the moment. I have an azalea from Carolyn in the central coast, New South Wales, being attacked badly by lace bugs. I have sprayed, so should I prune or feed or just leave it alone for a while? Now, depending on what type of azalea it is, if it's a if you prune it, the risk you run. Carolyn is that you remove those flower buds and that's something so important for you you want to keep those flower buds so if it's looking okay you think you've got rid of the lace bug if you can um, feed it the risk you run with feeding it feed it lightly 
but if we feed it too much, they grow past their flowers. Interesting with azaleas is that they get this beautiful mass of flowers. So you'll see, sometimes you see these pictures and around you always say, why do my azaleas never look like that? If you can get, get that fine balance of getting them growing, getting to set up their flower buds that stand up. So these little gorgeous flower buds stand up and then they open up in flower, look amazing. And then after they finish flowering, that flowers start to die back, then they'll shoot their new growth. If you prune those flower buds back, you'll get beautiful new growth. What we want to do is make sure we have a balance. And so light feed, you won't get that new growth past the flowers. If you feed it too heavy, you'll get that growth that will come past the flowers, unfortunately. So light feed with a liquid fertiliser. If you can do a mild liquid fertiliser, something like power feed will make a difference. And then the plant's nice and healthy. We're going to thicken the cell walls, strengthen the stems and get the plant strong and healthy. Then after it's finished flowering, after it's had its major flowering, then you could give it a light prune and it will shoot away beautifully again. Get rid of some of those damaged leaves. How hard is it to grow lemongrass? That's from Suzanne in Melbourne. Not hard at all, Suzanne. But in Melbourne, it's a little bit trickier because it loves the warm weather. So you've got a beautiful warm spot. If you're growing it in a pot, it goes off a little bit in winter, chop it back, let it shoot away again. So lemongrass is one of a standard herb that does beautifully. Easy to grow. You can put it in a pot. Or you, and, and if it is in a pot and you're growing it in a cooler area of Australia and you bring it inside, you'll find that, well, not inside, but just protected in a protected position a bit, it'll still keep growing. Otherwise, if it dies back totally through the winter, just chop it off. You can harvest lemongrass. You can harvest that in spring or a bit before. Chop it off and it's guaranteed to shoot beautifully. Again, don't forget, keep those questions coming because we've got some seeds and a punnet of seed raising um, a seed raising punnet to give away we'll choose that at the end of the show I'm glad that's not my job <laughs> I think that's someone else's job keep them coming from Julie my Daphne looks sick is there a lifespan on them not usually actually Julie Daphne's do tend to Daphne's are another interesting plant oh, I love these Facebook live questions because they come from across the country because Daphne's, uh, there's not a lot of Daphne's growing in WA, so they're a cool climate plant, but they are prone to a virus. And so they get a virus that's within the plant that will cause the leaves to go like they're almost wilted. So often there is a lifespan on them. But the other tricky thing about Daphne is that they need a shallow pot, a wide shallow pot. Don't overplant them in a deep pot. And I've seen quite large Daphne's growing beautifully in small pots but very shallow pots as well so if you find um, it's been over potted yeah they rot very easily so it might be worth anti-rot will make a big difference if you put some anti-rot on them um, drench the soil if it's over potted put it in a pot that's a bit smaller and more shallow do beautifully in terracotta unglazed terracotta or um, clay pots, they're beautiful. And we are heading north of Sydney to tea tree or tea gardens with Margaret played with pennywort over large areas and I've tried to avoid using poison. My latest attempt is to lay thick, flattened cardboard 
with weed mat on top. Do you have any other suggestions? Uh, a goat, <laughs> maybe? No, I'm not sure. That's probably not serious enough. That's probably, yeah, silly, not too serious. But yeah, pennywort is vigorous, um, particularly if you're in an area where it's absolutely damp soil. They'll just, it will just go crazy. So what we want to do is get some way of blocking out that light. So whether you do it with cardboard, whether you do it with black plastic to start with, if you're going to thick, thick layers of mulch, I know pennywort will just still grow through. So those thick layers of mulch and matting is going to make a difference. The risk you run actually of putting weed matting down is that if you ever have a little bit of a gap and then the, the pennywort goes through the gap and then we end up with lots of problems and you're pulling it up. But layers of thick flattened cardboard and it can be damp cardboard, that's okay, damp it down and then put the weed matting on top and then a thick layer of mulch on top of that will make a big difference. So you'll find that um, mm, digging up as many of those many of those runners you possibly can will give you a really good start. Sorry, Margaret, I feel your pain with that one. That's hard. From Nicole to, down to down to Melbourne, I should say, with Nicole, I have a problem with my onions and chives. They're covered in black insects, and I'm not sure what they are. They are destroying all my plants. What can I do? I think the irony of chives and onions is that they are susceptible to aphids. The irony, the reason I say irony of it is that Yates, no, sorry, not Yates, um, sorry, the products garlic and chilli spray, garlic and chilli spray is one of those, one of those insecticides that um, is used to get rid of aphids. And so often it happens like that. Hose them off, Nicole, if you can hose the aphids off, that will make a big difference. Squash them, keep your plants nice and healthy a little bit. If you wanted to use natural soap, if you want to use warm soapy water, you can hose them off. You can also be as soft or as or as hard as you'd like to get rid of them. But to start with, feed them up, get them growing nice and healthy. As the weather cools down, one of the things that's most important is that chives and onions absolutely love the cool weather so you'll find you'll get much stronger healthier plants if you can feed them up yes there'll be a few aphids just squash them if you can that will get rid of the bulk of the population and aphids just fly in that's one of the things that we live with when we're in gardeners if you can get rid of them squash them soft-bodied insects then we move on to make a difference uh, to them but natural soap is a product that you can use that's quite safe very safe, approved by organic gardeners and quite effective for aphids that tend to get on the garlic, garlic chives, normal chives and onions. So frustrating when you want to harvest beautiful fresh chives and there's a few aphids on them. From, uh, from Melbourne, we're also talking to Rosemary. I bought a Eureka lemon dwarf four years ago at the garden show, but there's still no lemons. What am I doing wrong? Well, usually they fruit really well. One good thing is that for two years, that's okay. For two years, we didn't want fruit. So we'll probably won't count those two. But no lemons. We really want to get, the way that lemons work is we really want to get a life cycle or a, a life cycle of lemons. We want to get them to grow beautifully. If they're nice and healthy, we want them to grow beautifully. Hit them with some potassium, high potassium fertilizer to encourage and help initiate flowers and flower buds, so flower buds, and that is the flowering for the next season. So we need to get them to flower. The first step is to get them to flower this spring. 
So if it's not looking very healthy at the moment, start start a foliar feed with liquid fertilizer and a granular fertilizer around the root system, and then you can use the foliar feed right through right through the winter months if you're in a warmer area and the plant's actively growing. That will then develop enough strong wood and beautiful wood to get them flowering wood to get them to develop flowers. You might find they'll set huge amount of flowers but uh, only say six or eight fruit set, fairly normal. One of the tricks to growing citrus trees wherever you are in Australia, a little bit often, regularly, we started off the start of Facebook Live with that, that particular recommendation. A little bit often makes a huge difference when we're growing citrus right throughout the growing season and that's from August to May. So start feeding every four to six weeks, a little bit regularly, with a granular fertiliser and that will help hold on to those flowering buds and they'll hopefully develop fruit for you. We want green leaves. That's the first thing that we want for citrus trees. To Queensland, hopefully where it's warm, I was wondering if Logan berries and young blackberries prefer a dry soil or a damp soil. Marilyn, I think they're going to just damp. They don't, this time of the year, as they're going, all, they're going um, dormant, Definitely, they can cope with a drier soil, but not too dry, particularly when you've got warm weather at the same time. You'll find they really like the damp, like a little bit of damp soil, but not waterlogged. So um, it's a balance. Keep that soil nice and cool and damp, and then your, your berries will just absolutely go crazy. They definitely will. I just love the flavour of fresh homegrown berries is worth worth the effort not too much effort at all but definitely worth having a few in the backyard and I think whoever in your house looks after them should be the one that has the pleasure of actually eating them as well well that's the rule in our house that's it time goes so fast thank you for all your incredible questions I love it I just love being part of it I'm actually back next Monday I think um, we've got Garden Gurus Facebook live so remember to tune in again and so today's episode of the Garden Gurus live is brought to you by many people thank you very much for your support and thank you being part of it our community thanks for joining us because without you we wouldn't have a show we'll be back now another episode at 12 p.m australian eastern standard time so mark that in your diary now maybe put it on your calendar and lachlan will reach out to this week's winners of the seeds make sure you check your messages to see if you've won a packet of seeds i think these are the very ones that you might win or if you're lucky the seed raising punnet we'll find out a little bit more about those maybe in the next few weeks um, when I join you once again. Remember, 12 o'clock Australian Eastern Standard Time, 10 o'clock if you're in the West next week. The Garden Gurus Autumn Series, don't forget, is back on Channel 9 at 4.30. You can always jump onto our website and catch up with our previous episodes. There's so much good information there. Um, many of the people, everyone who presents, absolute passionate horticulturalists, passionate plants people and love bringing you all the information. So our previous stories are at thegardengurus.tv or our YouTube channel, thegardengurus.tv also. You can listen back today to today's live stream and catch up on previous episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Audible. So if you're spending time in the garden, maybe there's something that you missed. Maybe you thought about the favourite tree, some fertiliser, some favourite. We're interested in those bulb varieties, those bulbs. And if you've got bulbs in your fridge, 
time to get them out. When I join you again, hopefully they are planted in your garden. If you've got some bulbs, maybe just a few spare spaces. There's enough room for a few more bulbs. Head over to the Garden Gurus Express and find out what maybe you can be inspired to plant. We'll see you again on Monday next week at 12 o'clock Eastern Standard Time or 10 o'clock West Australian Time. Look forward to it and thanks very much. I got my rake and I'm ready to go.